Welcome to the New Life Podcast on the Stream Grace Network. Hello and welcome to the next edition of the New Life Podcast. I am uh, your host, John Ewell Jr., and I have my father with us today, John Ewell Sr. How you doing, Dad? I'm doing great. So glad that all of you are with us today um, for this new episode. For the next several weeks, we're going to be um, adding some additional content from our weekend message series uh, that we're doing right now. It's called Red Letters. And the idea behind this series is we're looking at the seven letters that Jesus sent to the seven churches in what is now Asia Minor that's found in Revelations chapters 2 and chapter 3. And this week, we're looking at the city of Smyrna. And if you would like to hear more about the city of Smyrna, uh, you can go to our website at newlifeokc.org. And we encourage you to listen to the latest message there. Um, but we're going to pick up on something that we talked about in the message. We talked about how that that um, Jesus is talking to the people at Smyrna, and he talks to them about how that if they will endure, they will be given this a, a crown, a crown of life. Um, and the word crown here doesn't mean it isn't diadem, which is what most of us would think of, which would be a royal crown, you know, what the Queen of England wears on her head every once in a while. But this, the crown that's used, uh, the word that's used here for crown is the, the wreath, the Greek wreath that would be placed on the head of someone who won uh, in the games. Um, that, that would have been happening and taking place in Smyrna. Smyrna was a city where these games would happen in that region. And so, um, and, and those those wreaths that they would put on their head, the victor's crown, as it was called, um, you know, you've probably seen those. They're usually green. Um, but those would eventually, like uh, any flower that you, when, when you give someone flowers, those flowers last for several days and then they eventually die. And so would those, those wreaths, you know, everything was temporary, but, but God is saying to the church at Smyrna and to all of us that are followers of Christ, that the crown that he gives, um, is not like that. And, uh, so we want to explore, there's actually five crowns that are listed in the new Testament and dad and I are going to take some time today and we're going to go through each of these and talk about them for a few minutes. We're going to read you where they're found in the scriptures and uh, we would encourage you to study those out for yourself and uh, one of the things I want to remind you that you should do anytime you're studying the Bible is whenever you're looking at a specific scripture read several scriptures above it and several scriptures beyond it that gives you the context of what is what is being addressed within a scripture so you ready to jump into this dad I'm ready son all right the first crown that is mentioned we're going to go through these in the order that you'll find them in the new testament this is not order of importance this is just how they're in the new testament is found in first corinthians chapter 9 and uh it's specifically in verse 25 but dad's going to read a little bit and we want to talk to you about this thing this imperishable crown go ahead Paul. all right i'm reading this one out of the new international version it says everyone who competes in the games 
goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. What what do you see in that? What about this imperishable crown? Of course, we now we don't believe that God's going to give us a literal wreath, right? Yeah, it's symbolic again, symbolic language tied to to an actual event that they would witness. We would think of the Olympic Games or a trophy given to the national champion of football or whatever, you know. Yeah. But the point is, you only gain that by putting yourself into a strict training mode bringing your body into subjection the bible talks about ruling over your learn how to how to rule over your flesh so that the heart of christ the spirit of christ can dominate and be revealed uh, so it's tied to going through strict discipline and uh, training ourselves to be equipped if you will to make it to the mountaintop to to win the championship to excel in the games to win the gold medal to to be the best if you will um in that particular event um and so again it, it just relates to the fact that you know christianity is a verb religion when we commit ourselves to christ uh it's not like okay um I acknowledge I've sinned. He's my Savior, so I accept his saving grace and eternal life and then sort of sit back and just don't do anything. Uh, like it's just going to happen. Nobody hands you a trophy. Nobody hands you um, uh, a crown of the victor's crown, right? Um, so I think it's indicating here, of course, uh, we know the first century church, uh, once they accepted Christ, they basically lived every day under the threat of giving their life for, for yeah, him. Yeah, they did. Um, and uh, that's a challenge for us in America because we have not lived a life th- where our faith has been threatened. Other countries do. Other people in other countries do. Uh, but we still have to embrace the fact that in the context of the world compared to the eternal kingdom of God, in this world, Jesus says, you're going to have tribulation, you're going to suffer, you're going to struggle. Every day has an evil attached to it, he said. Uh, what are we going to do with that as Christians, you know? Right. Well, he, Paul indicates here that we've got to stand up against it. We've got to train ourselves to be able to overcome whatever we face uh, so that we can, in the end, be standing there uh, in the presence of God to receive this eternal life that he offers us. Mm-hmm. Not that we earn the eternal life, but we inherit that. We, I inherit something because of my relationship to the testator, the one who gave the established the will, right? Right. But uh, in the context of that, uh, I have to prove myself to be that faithful son, that that right heir to whatever. Uh, is offered in the will when he uses the idea of athletes which he yeah, does right in all of these um when you when if you've played any kind of sport at all you never really know let's th- you keep mentioning the national championship i know college football just yeah. ended yeah but when you think about football you never really know how strong you are until you face opposition right and so you spend all the time in the off train in the off season, lifting weights, mm-hmm. um, uh, eating right, running, and, and you're and you're doing all of that so that when you face that opposition, 
You can push the offensive lineman around. You can be quicker than the defensive mm-hmm. back, whatever. So this training that he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 9, around the 25th verse, really is talking, it really leads to living a life of purity and a life that is self-controlled, that isn't um, uh, impacted right. by the um, by our own flesh, our own sinful desires, and also is able to withstand the pressures that would be, that would come against us, which they had to have in the first century church that this letter is written to. Sure. And from the, from the context of an athlete playing the game is the fun part. It's during the week where you're going through the training, you're going through the discipline, you're going through the reps, you're lifting the weights and now of course they have special dietitians that are attached to give you the proper food that matches your particular body and and style of uh, uh, physiology you know uh, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes uh, you know I, just as a side note i remember as a kid in church you know i used to think well hey it'd be great to be a preacher because all you do is preach once on sunday and get to eat fried chicken you know i used to because every every preacher i knew ate fried yeah. chicken but but you know we know that the pulpit is that's the that's, that's the easy part yeah. i mean you know it's, it's dealing with all the issues and you know, everything that you have to do behind the scenes and and this is true in the context of our christian walk you know oftentimes uh if we're not careful we equate christianity to what happens on sunday right but hey that's nothing if we don't live it throughout the week right. you know and so the point is this it's this training this strict training that that uh, the disciplined athlete has to continually go through and not just once you have to do it over and over again i remember uh, the coaches talking about the, the the time between the last game and then going into a bowl game and there may be two or three weeks there well they're still pumping iron they're tr- still trying to get stronger because they're probably going to face a stronger opponent maybe than they face during their regular season uh, you're always working to develop and train and strengthen yourself and this is a context that that Paul is talking about as a Christian. Uh, we are to constantly be uh, bringing ourselves into subjection and our our will and our focus and our desires toward the things of God and and um, equipping ourselves to be able to deal with whatever comes our way. Right. And we know in America we got a whole lot coming our way. We do. I love also, and then we'll jump to the next one. Um, I think it's this one. It, it's First Corinthians nine twenty five, where he talks about running the race, mm-hmm. um, and and running the race. He's meaning run it with purpose, run it with the point of winning. Yeah. So for those of us that are Christ followers, what that should mean for us is that we've chosen to follow Christ, mm-hmm. not to dwindle when the fire gets hot or right. the pressure gets strong, mm-hmm. but our goal is to finish well, to mm-hmm. live a life that that endures um because we've received an imperishable gift and if we'll do that he promises that glory mm-hmm. eternity uh, all that the things these crowns represent is not going to fade it, it's it's not going to dwindle right all right so read about the imperishable crown in first corinthians chapter 9 around the 25th verse the second crown that we find in the new testament is found in first Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 this is a letter that Paul has written to the church in a city called Thessalonica and uh, he writes them and uh, encourages them as well 
to not only run the race with endurance, but now he's going to challenge us um, to to uh, live in such a way that we actually become an influencer. Why don't you read about that, Dad? For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes, is it not you? So the you that Paul is talking about are these Christ followers. If you read the context of First Thessalonians 2, Paul um, and his companions have wanted to come back to Thessalonica, um, but they weren't able to. But he's encouraging them by letting them know that you guys are our crown. You, what, what do you think he means by that, and how would that apply to Christ followers today? Well, if you go back where Jesus says, go and tell others the gospel, go and uh, spread the good news, all right? So uh, Paul and others would, would share their experience, their knowledge of Christ with other people in hopes that others would accept Christ and follow him as well, become Christ followers as well. And then in that day when we stand before the Lord, our joy isn't just that we've made it, but we've influenced others to join us there. Yeah, my joy will be that my family's there, not just right. me. And I know in the context of family, it'll be different in that order. But the point is, we have fruit of our life, right? Uh, not just the way we lived our life, but the influence that we've had on other people that they chose to follow Christ because of the influence perhaps we had on them. Uh, they believed our witness. Uh, they saw how we lived this disciplined, glorious life, you know, bringing glory to God, and they wanted that, you know. So I think he, he's, he's talking about here that, that our reward won't just be the fact that we've made it, but that others we've helped to influence to receive Christ and to, and to join us in that eternal kingdom. As so well. is this just talking about primarily um, um, – is this talking about primarily evangelists? No, it's talking about everyone. So about all of us, all of us, so that we should live our life in a right. way that that others would be inspired to right. trust and believe in in Christ. Right. Um, and folks, there will be people when we get to heaven, hopefully, that we will be surprised mm-hmm. at the part we played. Yeah. In their coming to accept Christ right. as you know as their Savior as well. So. Um, there's a scripture that we shared um, last Sunday, famous scripture, where Christ talks about uh, a candle. No one lights a candle and puts it under, a, you know, uh, and hides the light. Uh, hides the light yeah. You know, we used to sing that song about yeah. this little light of mine, you know, not going to hide it under a bushel. No. Yeah. Who, so he hasn't come in to change our lives for us to live a secret life. Right. To be incognito. Right. But we should live in a way that that um, we inspire others. We often say that the stuff that we spend our time and our money on, we can't take it with us. Mm-hmm. This is what we take yeah. with us. You take with you the influence you've had on other people. Not only, not only the testimony of your own faithfulness, but the fact that uh, in some way or another, God used you to light the fire, to ignite the heart, the faith of other people in the process and uh, and we don't really measure that god does in other words yeah you know, I, I i know at times as i've preached over over 40 some years 
you know, you, quote, invite people to receive Christ, and they may come to an altar, they may raise their hand, they may, uh, you know, follow you in a prayer of repentance, whatever term you want to use to sort of call people to make a choice and a decision. And you have evidence of certain things like that, but I don't know that we will fully comprehend the total impact that we've had until we get there. But certainly we want to have a, have made an impact. And I think first and foremostly it starts, you know, Bible talks about working out your own salvation. So mm-hmm. he starts with this strict training that we have to go there. But, you know, um, then it goes into your family, influencing your family. That's your first mission field if you right. want to look at it like that, you know. And then maybe those you work with, maybe friends and people you interact with, whatever. Um, and again, you may not ever hear them pray a prayer or make a decision, but in the end, maybe what you said or did impacted them eventually to do that. Um, I remember just real quick, uh, a young man I went to high school with, played sports with, uh, Steve Belote, lives in Ruidoso, New Mexico now. Um, I hadn't seen him for uh, 50 years. We went back to our 50, 50th high school reunion, uh, your mom and I, and uh, found out he was in Ruidoso, so we purposely drove through there so I could connect with him. And when I called, he's a realtor there, a real estate agent there. When I called him on the phone, I said, hey, Steve, this is Johnny Yule. He said, oh, you're the first one that led me to Christ. You're the first one that told me about Jesus. Yeah. I hadn't seen him for 50 years. Right. And that was the impact my name had to him. I'm not glorying in that. I'm just, right. I remember, because I was involved in church at that time and, you know, wasn't trying to, quote, win him to Christ. I was just making comments and, you know, encouraging him, I guess, to, to go to church or whatever. Um, and so I say that to say, if I had never gone through Oidoso and called him, I've never heard that. Right. I think maybe it was uh, something that helped impact me to say, "Hey, your life does make a difference." And whether you realize it or not, I didn't hear him. I didn't see him go to church. I didn't hear him make a confession of Christ, but he did. And in the end, I got to hear a personal testimony of his transformative experience. You know, so I just think Paul is saying, "Hey." whether we realize it or not we are making an impact positively or negatively on people all around us all the time and we want to make a positive impact and influence them to follow christ as we follow christ yep so really the first crown if you will that he's talking about is about putting effort Mm -hmm. put some effort in this second crown is him saying make sure you put your effort in the right place right don't spend don't spend your life thinking that your success in this world is what's going to matter. It's the influence that you have on others, inspiring them to believe in Christ or, or influencing them. That's this crown here. It's the, the influencer's crown right. that he talks about in First Thessalonians 2, 19. Yeah. Go read that one. Yeah. Well, one other point there. You and I were just talking about this, and you made this comment. I think is relevant here. You know, we always talk about how you can't take it with you. You know, mm-hmm. there's not a U-Haul behind your hearse, you know, but you can take other people with you. That's right. That's the real reward. That's the real benefit of living our life here, that we've influenced others to be with us in that eternal kingdom. So That's right. that is something we can take with us, the influence we have on other people. Totally. The third crown that we find uh, mentioned in the New Testament is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4. For those of you that don't know, Timothy was... Uh, a spiritual son of the apostle Paul. What that means is that Paul led him to Christ and um, uh, influenced him. 
and uh, Timothy was a young man that uh, was actually leading the church at Ephesus that we talked about in the first week of the Red Letter series. But he writes to him a second letter in 2 Timothy 4.8 and um, is trying to inspire him to live with an understanding that Christ can come back at any moment. Read about that crown. Yeah, now this is out of the New Living Translation. I like the way it reads. It says, Now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. That's right. When we hear that, the day of his return, I think it's easy for us to just think about the big return, you know, that we read about here in Revelation. But Labor Day of last year for my mom was the day that he returned. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm getting at there? The day of his returning is any time that we transition from this life to eternity. Think about it, folks, in in that famous scripture in the New Testament. Those that are alive and remain will be changed, transformed in the twinkling of an eye. So that's that really the day of his coming can be at any moment right you are not guaranteed tomorrow you are not guaranteed the next six hours so live every moment with this expectation right of that christ is coming at any moment right that that, so that you can receive the righteousness of god live live in that way right right uh yeah i remember uh early on in my Christian walk, of course, uh, becoming saved and then studying the Bible. Everybody likes to study Revelation, which we're talking about the seven churches, you know. And, uh, of course, you like to draw timelines, you know, when is he going to come back, you know, Um, and all of of this, you know. um, And the emphasis emphasis was always on when certain signs are in the world, certain conditions are established in the world, and we can – look up because his redemption draws nigh but the reality is every day is the last day for me right i have no guarantee nor do you of tomorrow That's right so this is my last day in that sense so i need to live every moment of every day looking for him uh being ready to be presented to him being ready to leave this body and go to be with him whatever because none of us know when that day is going to be so I think it's somewhat frivolous the way sometimes we get into the whole prophecy thing and, and try to project and predict. Uh, and we may not even be living today. What if today was my last day? What if this was my last hour, right. my last moment, right? Uh, so we need to live with that uh, uppermost in our heart and mind that every day that I, he gives me, thank God he gives me another day, but why am I still here on this earth? To honor him, to glorify him, to be faithful to him, right? To influence others for him as I can, but this may be the this may be the day this right. may be the time i don't know but if i live ready at any moment i don't have to worry about timelines i don't have to worry about where's this fit in the prophecy calendar and <laughs> yeah. all the stuff that people get caught up with uh, we need to live every moment as if this is our last day because it could very well be it really could and that really is the heart yes um behind that scripture there in second timothy chapter 4 8 live with the expectation of Christ's return. Yeah. In, in fact, Paul, I was just noticing here, uh, previous to this verse, uh, he says, uh, 
the time of my death is near. He mm-hmm. knew he was going to be martyred. And I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've remained faithful. You know, he's talking in past tense because he's, he's ready now. Right. And they're going to come for him, and he knows that. I, I think it's interesting if you study his life. They tried to kill him on many occasions. Mm-hmm. They couldn't. I don't think... I don't think anything can take us out of this world until God's through with us. Mm-hmm. The reason I know your mother's not with us today is because right. she finished her purpose on this earth. Otherwise, God would have left her here, right. healed her, raised her up. Agreed. And, and and so the point is we need to live every day with that finality attached to it. This may be the last day that I live on this earth. If so, I fought the good fight. I finished this race. I, I can stand before him without... Uh, uh, any trepidation because I've lived my life as I should have to bring honor and glory to Christ, right? That's right. So the fourth crown is one that we talked about in this week's message a little bit, and we talked about the the uh, different types of crown, the diadem, which is one word. Um, it, it, it's ha- the Greek word that we get the word diadem from. That word is used as crown in in uh, several places in the New Testament. That's not the word that's used in this verse in James chapter one verse twelve. Um, but in the context, he's writing to people, encouraging them to be faithful, even if it means you give your life. That. Um, if you're faithful all the way to the surrendering of your life, you're going to receive a crown of life. And this crown, um, it, there's some really cool stuff that you found. Because um, when you think about our life, our life is temporary. But this life this that he's going to give us, of course, isn't like that. Why don't you read that and then talk into that. James chapter 1, around verse 12. Uh Again, the New Living says, uh, God blesses those who patiently endure. Another translation says, perseveres or remains steadfast under trial. And has persevered, patiently endured testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So again, it's the picture of an athlete who crosses the finish line and gets the reward. You were disciplined enough to finish the race as we just read about Paul Uh, and as a result you receive this crown of life because you stood the test you overcame whatever you faced and and understandably so because only those who cross the finish line get the prize Paul says you know you don't start a race and then drop out and expect to get a prize you run the race and you cross the finish line and you receive the prize and so uh, God has promised this crown of life to those who endure, to those who overcome whatever they face. And it really, that really goes all the way back to a statement Jesus made in Matthew 16, where he said those who, um, who, who really want to find life are the ones who will give up their life for my sake. Right. That it's those that, that give up their life. They're the ones that find it. Right. Well, that's what this is talking about. Yeah. Um, whether it is through... Of course, in this time period, folks, the church, the early church was under horrendous um, persecution um, by the Roman, uh, the Roman government. You had what was called imperial idolatry that's happening at this point where they, they consistently were trying to get people to swear to Caesar. Mm -hmm. And 
that became kind of the battle um, was getting Christians to pledge to Caesar. Well, those that were truly Christ followers were not going to turn and and claim an earthly guy to be their king when they have a relationship and a connection to the ultimate king of kings. And so they would then be pressed in the scriptures that we read Sunday. um, It, the Jesus is talking to them and says, look, even if you're pressed for 10 days, mm-hmm. but if you don't give up, if you don't surrender, you know, or if you don't give in, if you surrender your life, even to death, you'll receive the crown of life because that's what they would do in, in this city in Smyrna, they would torture him for 10 days and they gave him basically 10 days to, to renounce, to turn. And then if they didn't after 10 days, it killed them. Mm-hmm. And, we're not to that extent i understand in america but the heart is still there there is still the spirit of 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 the antichrist that is rising that's gaining momentum in our world that is going to continue to put pressure on us as we go on through the the years as we continue um to live our lives and we've got to be people that have gone through the training that he talks about in first uh, Corinthians that have a strength and a resolve that doesn't just push us through, but actually influences other people so that, and, and we do that because we completely understand that at any moment we could see him. Right. And right. then even when pressed, we're not going to choose this life over that eternal life. Right. What did you talk about the flower that that you were looking at yeah there's there's a of course the wreath that they would make that you uh, referred to earlier made out of uh, of greenery sometimes it may have some flowers or something but over time the greenery would would dry up fade away but there was a specific flower that uh, commentaries mention um that they believe the writer was referring to that basically over time did not lose its color or its shape and they would use it a lot at funerals in those days they would put a a, a, like a a crown or a wreath made out of those flowers on the head of their dead loved one symbolizing though their body may be dead they're living eternally with Mm -hmm. god represented by this flower that does not fade uh, or um, or wither, and so uh, I don't understand all that. I haven't done <laughs> enough research into how that happens, but obviously it is it is a recorded uh, reality that there is a type of flower that the the Greek word there I can't pronounce it specifically, yeah. but it indicates a flower that doesn't lose its color over time and doesn't wither. Maybe it doesn't do it as quickly as some of the others do. I don't know how it lives. Right, uh, but it was very symbolic of endurance and overcoming and living beyond this this life so when we read about the crown of life mm-hmm. that's talking about those that have endured all the way to the end right and that should be all of right. us that right. should be all of our goal right to endure to the end so we've talked right. about um the imperishable crown we've talked about the crown of influence We've talked about um, the crown of righteousness for those that are living expectantly. We've talked about the crown of life that goes to those who endure. But all of it really leads 
to this crown that's in first peter chapter five i would encourage you to read um verse one all the way through verse six uh, in your own study but the key to all of them is this crown it's called the crown of glory why don't you read those verses Dad? yeah it says when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away and in this in this uh specific writing he's talking to church leaders at the time he talks to elders or whatever um but within this context he uses the phrase he's talking to these leaders and he's telling them don't use your authority and lord it over people right okay in other words serve them right well i truly believe that if we look at jesus as our model jesus teaches us that the higher you are the farther you bend right the higher up the ladder you go the more you're willing to bend and serve other people that's real leadership right that's also called humility yeah and verse six of first peter five he uh he admonishes us humble yourselves right so if you want if we want to receive this crown of glory it's going to go to those who humbly serve other people right right your neighbor yeah your family your friends you're going to care about others more than you're going to care about yourself. Right, right. You know, Jesus talked about don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing in, 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 in picture, picturesque language there uh, in, in the book of Matthew. And he, he, in other words, he's saying we don't, we don't serve to be seen to get accolades, though in our culture, sadly to say, that's a primary motive. Mm-hmm. Get our face on charisma, you know, have the biggest church in town, I'm talking from a pastoral perspective that, and the pressure that's put sometimes on individual leaders to, if, to be a quote a success, based upon uh, achievements and accolades and recognition and, you know whatever, but uh, from God's perspective, it's it's that humble servant. You know, I think of some in the Bible, uh, the little servant girl, uh, that. Uh, um, sent uh, Naaman down to Israel to uh, dip seven times in Mm -hmm. the muddy Jordan River. You know, we don't know her name, but he got healed because she did what he instructed her to do, you know. Uh, In the New Testament, Paul was saved because his nephew, we don't know his name, overheard a conversation of a plot to kill him, and the soldiers took him out of town another way. We don't know that that young man's name. so sometimes we tend to think, well, who am I? Well, we can all be faithful servants and humbly just uh, Bible talks about um, whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord. So in that regard, whatever opportunity we have every day to influence somebody, to serve somebody, to help somebody, uh, humbling ourselves enough to do it uh, has a great reward attached to it. And nobody may ever know our name, we may never be recognized for it, but God does. God knows us, and he recognizes that type of uh, humble service. So I think that's something we need to rediscover in the American church because we tend to so much pride and egotism has entered into the context of Christianity in the West that uh, we've lost this joy of simple servanthood. Yeah, we and, have. And some people won't do anything unless they're paid to do it. Yeah. 
I remember G.W. Davison, a glorious man of God who's now with the Lord, when we were over at our old property and the way the building was built, the the wind would blow paper and stuff up around the building, you know, and he would get there early every Sunday morning and go pick up all that trash outside the door Mm. just to make the, nobody asked him to do it. He just did it, and mm-hmm. he did that even here on this property until he passed away. If he saw something like that, he would pick up a piece of paper. He would do yeah. something just to make maybe the building or whatever more presentable, uh, and nobody ever – he didn't ask for favors because he did it, recognition because he did it. That was just in his heart to do. And to me, that epitomizes a humble servant. Just whatever I have opportunity to do every day, I want to do it for the glory of God and to maybe help someone else along the way. And that that has great reward in the end. And Paul says, "Is the crown of glory." Yep. So what we're ta- what these five crowns were not again. They're we don't believe they're five specific crowns. Think of them as you know one reward that's given to all those who overcome, which John said in First John that um, all those who believe by faith have overcome the world. Mm-hmm. So um, you believe in Christ. Yes, you've overcome, and there is a reward. Um, the Bible talks about how that our life, the things that we've done, are going to be judged. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and and that we'll be rewarded there, but. This reward, this crown, think of it as the reward from different vantage points. And w- those that are humble are going to receive this reward. Those that have purified their life by going through this training that dad talked about, are going. that's a part of the reward. Those that influence live a life that is uh, affecting other people, uh, they're going to receive this reward. Those that live with an expectation that Christ could come at any moment. And so they're ready, um, are going to receive this reward. Those that endure hardship and pressure, uh, and persecution, um, even if they have to give their life for the faith, they're going to receive this reward. And the promise of this reward is unlike rewards on this earth that raw that rust and moths come in and destroy and decay and fade. The promise of the eternal father is that your reward will never fade, will never change. And as great as that's going to be, let's also remember because of that humility, we're all going to throw our, our crowns, our wreaths at the feet of the, the one that is the only reason why we are there anyway. As we wrap up, I shared the story in the closing segments of the message Sunday of Polycarp. And I want to end refreshing his story with you just for a moment. Polycarp was, we believe, uh, one of the last ones to be tied to one of the apostles. He was the Apostle John's spiritual son, and he was the leader of the Church of Smyrna. And at this time period, there was great persecution for the Christians from both the Roman Gentiles as well as from the Jews, as there were many Jews turning the Jewish Christians in to the Romans great division, great poverty for those that chose to follow Christ. Some recanted. Many did not. Polycarp was an old man, was resting outside of Smyrna. Uh, Christian uh, lore says that he was in the upstairs of a house when the soldiers came in to arrest him. 
And instead of running in fear or pulling out his guns, he welcomed them as guests in his home, fed them food, talked to them like friends. And then before they took him away, he had one request that they let him pray for one hour. And those that were arresting him went downstairs and listened to him pray, not for one hour, but for two. And at the end of the two hours, they questioned among themselves if they should even take this guy in. But they did. And the emperor challenged Polycarp in the arena, tried to give him an out, just asked him to acknowledge Caesar. He didn't even ask him to claim him as king. Just acknowledge the grace of Caesar and will extend your life. And Polycarp said, is, is in church history, he's quoted as saying, I can, he has never been bad to me. I cannot turn my back on him. And they set him on fire. We have three writings, three different historians of this time period that were there when Polycarp died. And though he was set on fire, his body did not burn. In fact, three of those historians said it smelt like an oven baking bread and in the flames he still preached and testified to his lord until finally a soldier picked up a spear and ran it through his heart and it said so much blood came out of his heart that day that it actually doused the flames that were there to kill him here's my point may we live with such a passion and reality of what is yet in front of us. This great reward that is imperishable, this that is eternal, that even when we are challenged with pressures from this world, whether they be government, family, friends, stresses, the enemy, that we will not let anything cause us to back away from the one who promises to always be faithful even to the end of our life. May the Lord bless you. We'll see you next time for another edition of the New Life Podcast.